This is episode number 10 of Crazy Damn Canadians. Episode number 10. We are officially in double digits, and we are sitting here with two exceptionally special guests, Warren and Chantel. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, and maybe we can just start with introducing the, the two of you, uh, starting with, with you, Chantel. Yeah, sure. I'm Chantel Grafton, longtime resident of Prince George, and uh, here with Warren. Yep, my husband. name is Warren Grafton. I'm two born raised PG out at the Nuka Lake, Kelly Road Secondary students. Eh? No, not me. She's a College Heights girl, but... Well, oh, my goodness. Yeah. A College Heights Ooh. kid and a yeah. Kelly Road kid got together? Yeah, you guys want to fight? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a past pit party, a Duke's Trail disagreement right there. Yeah. But, Dave, <laughs> we really are lucky to have Warren and Chantel here, and... I, we really want to get into the, this interview, but you've known each other from the past, correct? Yeah. Um, I don't know how many years ago it was now. It all becomes a blur, but I was actually the DJ at their wedding. Uh, so that's how I met them. Yeah, we had to tell you to turn it down a couple of times, I think, because we were at my parents' place on the lake trying to watch you freeze to death over in the corner, an outside wedding. But yeah, it was a good time. That was a great wedding, and then I ended up doing some of their friends' weddings too, and uh, just the funnest group of human beings. And I know that because very few times in my DJ career did I feel so emotionally impacted by a group of people and how they were acting. And I remember it was a bunch of cowboys, but they were having so much fun dancing and just the energy that I actually took video of it because I needed to store it and post it. So that's one of the videos I posted in 2014 to Hell Yeah Prince George. I just remembered the date. And yeah. I posted it saying, you're not going to believe this wedding. And it was when they were all singing the Backstreet Boys to one another. Yeah, uh, I wanted that 11 p.m. song, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody in the entire wedding stood around you guys and saying you, I want it that way. And that video will be on the Crazy Damn Canadians page as a link. It was a super cool moment. And I'm excited to see that video. And I'm also excited to get into the conversation that we're here for today. And you were married in 2014. And maybe we can fast forward a, a few years to uh, what happened after that that changed your, your life uh, forever. Yeah, so it's, I can't believe it's already coming up on a year and a half, but back in 2019, uh, we were doing our most favorite thing and going mountain biking in uh, Valmont for the Valmont Beer Festival was that weekend, which was our new annual thing. And uh, yeah, took a jump on my bike did not land it and I broke my neck um, C1, 2 and 3 yeah so <laughs> um, so right away because some people are listening to a podcast of course Chantel is paralyzed from the neck down um, I, I would like to know um, really quickly so now people understand this podcast is going to be about uh, inspirational people and obviously overcoming adversity because your story is pretty fascinating um, can you tell us though, how did you guys even meet? Like how, how are you guys a couple really quickly? Yeah. So that was back in, uh, I think 2008 or 2009 at UNBC and I was just starting university and Warren was just wrapping it up, but we actually met at a jujitsu club. So, uh, it was at the Northern Sports Center. We both were there and I was there kind of helping my friend who was pursuing a young male in the group. And I ended up really loving it, and then I met Warren. And uh, yeah, we trained for, together for a year, and then 
started dating soon after that. He had plans to peace out to go to Victoria and go to school, but I made him hang around on his cell phone and yeah, then we've been together ever since. What do you guys do for work? Like what is what was your occupation before you had this accident? Is it the same now? It is actually the same now. Um, I'm really fortunate. I work for the province of BC and I work in the water management group there. So I deal specifically with flood and drought management. And I'd been there in that job for a couple of years doing something different, but I just kind of switched positions. And I remember complaining that there's not enough field work and it's mostly at my desk. But now I'm incredibly grateful because I can do 95% of my job, um, especially with the equipment that's available today. And they, they were an amazing employer, got me everything I needed and supported me the entire time. That's pretty exceptional. I've talked to uh, a few people who've had accidents and I, I, I actually don't know of anyone that not only went through what you went through and the severity of it, but actually kept working and kept working in the same location. Um, so I, I guess, um, do you express your appreciation with them and and do you think that that's where you'll stay or do you have future goals to do something different too? Uh, well, my supervisor would be listening to this. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Yeah, I tell could, us about your boss. How yeah. do you really feel? He's pretty great. No, my group is awesome. Like we're all really close, and I love the work. I love everything about it. And yeah, I mean, like the dedication they've showed me is definitely solidified my loyalty to my working group. And that was one of the first things that. Uh, that Chantel said she wanted to do post-injury uh, when we were still kind of getting the worst of the diagnoses that you can't get it. She said that she wanted to go back to work. Uh, she was just kind of started a new position and it was it gave her a lot of value, right? And I think that'd be the hardest part about post-injury is just that loss of value in your life and and being able to contribute to something. So for, for her, it was uh, that was the, the goal was everything we could do to get her back to work. Yeah. I, one of the messages I would hope people pick up out of this is if, if you're fully abled and not doing what you want and then you see someone like Chantel who had one of, I mean, you can't get a worse injury really um, than what you've had. You have to consciously breathe um, and in, in the olden days that it wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have been able to survive through the hospital. Um, you consciously breathe and then breathe and then make yourself talk. It's not automatic anymore, correct? No. Yeah, breathing is definitely a lot of work. Like, you know, you take it for granted um, in life in general, but yeah, it, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't deter me from doing what I love to do. It's just, I, every, I'm more dedicated to the moment, I think. So there's not much that I'm going to spend time doing that I don't want to do anymore and I definitely um, I get a lot of value out of my job and I know that I'm there out of a choice I don't have to be there I have long-term disability so it's fine I do it because I like to do it do any of your friends ever complain in front of you about how hard uh, their life is constantly you know, <laughs> but you know like I honestly I encourage that because one thing like it's all perspective and everybody's life is different and I don't want anyone to feel that they can't complain to me. Like, I remember Warren was really ashamed in the ICU that he started complaining his neck hurt because he was always bending over looking at me. 
Oh. It's like, this feels terrible <laughs> yeah, yeah. to tell you about it. Like, well, you know. Mine actually sore. Yeah. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. That's priceless. Yeah. yeah. It, to tell you the truth, if anything, it kind of changed our perspective on on kind of people's woes. Yeah. We, we really learned that it is all part of perspective, especially when we were in rehab. We almost started to notice that the quadriplegics, like people who are paralyzed at a very high level, almost seem to have maybe even a better attitude than just paraplegics who, I mean, in our uh, opinion, like if you're a paraplegic these days, you're, there's the technology and the equipment and everything like that. There's, there's so much that you can do. Uh, there's so many cool mountain bikes, so many awesome things like that. But it, it all just kind of, it was your perspective. You just felt like you lost so much losing your legs and then the quadriplegics were just almost happy to be alive at that point kind of thing. So you just really started to be conscious of its whole perspective of what you've lost and what you've gained. And so I think that, that if we were going to capture any quote from this, I guarantee that's going to be it. Like you just, I just got shivers and goosebumps through that, just that section. Yeah. And just listening to what you just had to say, Chantel and Warren, the number one word that pops to mind for me is gratitude, because I feel it's something that a lot of people could exercise and use a lot more of in their life. And sometimes it's just reflecting on everything you have to be grateful for. And it could be little things that just add up. And and we've recently been dealing with some social media uh, drama that has sparked some arguments amongst community members and we kind of you know at the end of the day we do have so much to be grateful for uh, whether it's as a community or as an individual living in the north of the most beautiful province and the most beautiful country in the world Uh, so I just want to ask a quick question here because I know the two of you have an incredible athletic background and I remember years ago seeing you both at the Northern Sports Center and you're always involved in uh, whether it was training for karate or or uh, just having a good workout but but I'm just curious when did you get into mountain biking Uh, I kind of grew up in the sport Uh, I grew up ranching just northwest of town and we were always building bike jumps with you know everybody kind of does when you're got nowhere to be in town I suppose but uh, so I just started mountain biking with my friends lugging up the hill at the heart dump into Paderni and then um, when Chantel and I got, no, we weren't even married yet, but as our graduation present from UMBC, I got her a mountain bike because might as well, if I'm going on these trips, she might as well be coming with me. And uh, yeah, she fell for it pretty hard. Yeah, it was always something like people always admire. People have a passion or a hobby that they'll even spend time watching YouTube videos on it or trying to get better and pursuing it. And I've never had that before. But then once I started biking, like it just, you know, originally it was about going out with Warren, going out with friends, but I found later it was always just me and the dog. And we just loved, loved going out, loved everything about it. And the people that are involved in it, like just really down to earth. And we have some amazing parks, like Paderni and Otway are spectacular. I think we should be really grateful for having that so close. Yeah, and all the little neighborhoods up north, like Burns Lake. All of a sudden, you're going for camping trips to Burnsley to go biking and Smithers and Valmont, and mm-hmm. we'll have to make sure we mention Valmont either because yeah. they, they have a special place in our heart for sure, But mm-hmm. uh, especially after the accident. But, yeah, no, I think she was mountain biking even more than than uh, I was in the end there, and, uh, and we were gone almost every weekend on these little camping trips. We got an old diesel truck and threw a camper on the back of it and 
started lugging around that way. So that was that was our happy place for sure. Do you mind telling us about the accident? Yeah. So yeah, I have no problem talking about it. It, it doesn't bother me. But um, it was on my favorite trail. It's a trail called Moby Dick on uh, yeah within the Vailmont Biking Park, and we were there for the. Um, they do a bike day and then they do a beer festival, which has been just spectacular in previous years. So uh, yeah, I was biking with a group of my friends and I've always wanted to try and stay close with people because I've always had in the back of my head that if something ever happened, you don't have long to respond. Um, I've done first aid on multiple broken collarbones um, in the biking world now. And yeah, there was like this little, uh, little drop and I had a bend going in it and I tried it twice and kept landing front heavy, but I thought to myself, you know, you don't get better unless you try. So I was going to ride past it, and the very last second I changed my mind, and I went into it, and I went into it too slow. So I landed on my head. I just remember spinning and waiting for everything to stop. My bike ended up in the bush somewhere, and then I got up, and I thought I had the wind knocked out of me, and then I realized I couldn't breathe. And that's when my friend Sandy pulled up and realized something was wrong and I managed to tell her I couldn't breathe and then I passed out. And uh, my understanding of the story is herself and a couple of my friends. Um, I was lucky in the group because we had some health professionals and actually a medical student was with us and they did CPR on me I think for 11 minutes until uh, paramedics showed up. And then they carted me off the hill brought me down and then I was uh, helicoptered to Edmonton and I remember waking up a couple times actually woke up in the helicopter and I was really choked that these guys were going to make me late for the beer fest and I was like you don't understand I have places to be and yeah the next thing I was in Edmonton so how were you breathing though like I mean so you have to consciously breathe now did, mm -hmm. did the injury get worse as time went by and you lost ability you said you got up yeah, well, the nature, the na I, I don't know the specifics on why these things work, but there's a lot of swelling when you have a spinal cord injury. So the damage hadn't quite gotten there yet. So I was able oh. to get up and I was able to move. And then, the, you know, you get peripheral bleeding. Um, I severed an artery that you have two arteries that go into your brain. And I severed one of those. So I think that's what caused some of the damage. Yeah, so her, her injury level is... Uh, C1, 2, and 3. So at C1, so um, C1 was cracked, C2 broke and spread, and then C3 just mangled, gnar, massive it's hamker cool now. It's a very cool x ray. It is. Yeah, we like showing it. Um, so you're going to have to send us a picture of that. Yeah, We're yeah. posting it on the page with the podcast. So in terms of breathing, they say C4, 5, and 6, or C3, no. 4, and 5 keep the diaphragm alive. So at that level is where your innervation is to, to your diaphragm for breathing. So, yeah, I don't know the exact... And, and we haven't really all gotten together, everybody that was right there, and kind of talked about it, which I don't know, maybe we should one day. But uh, long story short, there were a couple of... One, it wasn't a small drop. It's a good three or four footer with some speed, so you got to give yourself some credit there. And then uh, the one big thing that always lined up is Chantel is kind of the least experienced rider of our group. So typically, oh, no. <laughs> typically she rides at the back of the line. So, uh, but this time she pulled ahead of a couple of friends, and I think that's what made the whole 
everything possible is everything that, lined up really well yeah they I came was fortunate on many circumstances so they came up on her whereas she would have been the caboose and and it's not uncommon for somebody to blow a tube or a tire or, or something and and you just kind of sit at the bottom and go well i guess we should mm-hmm. go and check on them by then it would have been too late right yeah so if i have one pitch to make do your first aid training and think about your spacing and your group riding that is great advice, Chantel. I, I feel like any individual would benefit from first aid training at whatever mm-hmm. level, right? It's always going to be an asset in your skill set and something that might come in handy to save a life one day. So you're, you broke your neck at the highest level possible, also known as the hangman's fracture? That's right. Okay. And I, I just want to spend a second here talking about the friends that you were with at the time and, and what a miracle that you were with friends that actually knew what to do in that kind of situation and in a lot of ways they are angels that they were able to be there for you at this time yeah no one one of my friends was a uh, search and rescue member for many years um, so he's attended accidents before he was first on and same with a medical student and my other friend was a physio so just had the really right group of people um, the rest you know shut down the trail directed people they're calm collected and just really grateful for them all the time it's my number one goal i think is to try and return some kind of kindness to these people i don't know if it's possible but so far it's just been in beer (laughs) yeah we do a lot of we give them a lot of beer and I find it hilarious that uh, when you're being airlifted to Edmonton, one of the comments you, you made is that you're upset that you're missing out on the beer fest. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, a super a plug, fun. A plug to <laughs> Valemont's beer fest. If you haven't been, it's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Visit yeah. Valemont. Yeah, I always yeah. say that, you know, the, Valemont is like the Switzerland of British Columbia. Just this little tight-knit community surrounded by these big, beautiful mountains. And it's uh, a mountain bikers are just an outdoor enthusiast paradise, really. So uh, plug to Valemont, you're right. Have you seen the actual was there is there footage of the accident itself or anything that you've seen no no there was there was nothing yeah no yeah it was her third time hitting hitting that jump that day and like she said she was just hitting it a little bit uh a little bit nose heavy and yeah the way we kind of reconstructed the accident is that she was not going to hit it this time around and then kind of decided to do a last second and just wasn't carrying enough speed and endoed and did did a perfect lawn dart we have we have our helmet there's a small amount of damage to it but it's just right on the very top of your head it's just a perfect lawn dart so so you had the accident um you go to the hospital you're going to go through the rehabilitation um learning how to breathe and learning how to handle the chair at that time some of your friends got together i know because i started getting phone calls uh, right away from various people saying we got to raise money for Chantel and Warren and I said great let's have a phone call and Curtis Mays um, contacted me and said we're going to put together a fundraiser and went over with him all the things that I thought would help make a fundraiser more successful fully expecting that you would raise a good solid ten thousand dollars if they put it together right and timed it properly created packages we did it all i was like okay now go roll this out have everybody do it once you got one crack at this what happened oh it was incredible it yeah um kurt did a mastermind of a job and i remember we were just laying in the icu and opened up the gofundme page and there was um two i think two grand over the first night and we were ecstatic 
Yeah. Like, you can't believe people have donated this much already. And then within 24 hours, I think it was up to 40,000. And then it just escalated from there. And it far surpassed anything that we ever thought that, you know, the community would give. But well, we were we were quite resistant to doing it to begin with, to tell you the truth. And we're really glad that Curtis kind of talked us into the idea yeah. uh, with push from a couple of other people because we didn't know what we need and and it wasn't I mean I, I know you said that we were figuring out how to learn to breathe and and rehab and everything but we weren't at that point yet we were still in the ICU where the diagnosis was you'll never sit upright you'll never breathe again you'll never eat yeah. so that's the stage we were at so when uh when people were saying we need to raise money for you at that point you're like for what <laughs> like we don't we don't even know what we have yeah. here yet um so and and i wanted to i didn't just want to ask for money too it's we we're, we're pretty independent it's people it was, yeah. it, was, it was very uncomfortable for us and and especially seeing that number climb like we we didn't like looking at comments we didn't it it just uh it was i don't know we were very uncomfortable with the whole thing but uh and and when we did decide that we maybe needed some financial help we wanted to be able to ask for something specific like a, a wheelchair or, you know but uh but luckily everyone around us advised us like no just get this going right now people want to help and you're getting all these messages everyone wants to help and mm-hmm. and there's only so many things you can do at that point so uh, i guess what this was just kind of one way that everybody could help and i think in what, 48 hours it was climbing over $60,000 and, and it blew our mind and it came from so many different groups too. I mean there was Prince George community as a whole just uh, did an amazing job and then Valmont themselves really pitched in and then the karate world was huge that went very far. And, did it yeah. end up near 100 or something like that? 134. 134,000. I stopped looking at 100. I was yeah. like so blown away because I mean I've I've been involved in a lot of fundraisers and uh, that warmed my heart though I yeah. was so happy I mean you and first of all hearing the humility from you guys saying we don't know if we want money that's great that's what people who are helping want to hear even more because that just makes me want to pull up my checkbook <laughs> and donate even more because you want to help people who don't have an expectation but are just appreciative so I know that's going to resonate with people but People have to donate. When something like this happens, you have to do something. There's nothing I can do to fix you medically. But we know that there's going to be things that come up. And the one thing we can do is make that easier Mm -hmm. so that you guys don't have that hurdle at least. And that's what I loved about that. And that's what everybody donated for there. It it gave them that little bit. Also a testament to the the wonderful communities that you're part of in your life it probably made you reflect on that and whether it be the prince george community the valemont community the northern community as a whole the karate community the mountain biking community your workplace communities in an already overwhelming situation that you're dealing with you're now overwhelmed with this amazing fundraiser initiative that happened shout out to curtis mays and it it must have what was it like just seeing all these communities that you've been involved with in your life, see them kind of come together and show that support. So humbling. Like just, it just broke us down even more. And I, it's such a hard feeling to describe really. I mean, we, like it, it was almost more overwhelming than the injury itself to tell you the yeah. truth. 
uh, I think there's a couple times we cried and that was one of them for sure yeah we're not big criers either <laughs> yeah I know you're a bunch of cowboys yeah. uh, but you dance to the backstreet boys <laughs> so, so we know there's a soft spot in there it, you yeah. know yeah. when you take the cowboy everybody at 1am dances to the backstreet yeah. boys when there's a, a keg involved yeah Absolutely. I suppose so can we talk a little bit about I mean we can leave the money aside now uh, but that was just such a powerful thing for everybody who was mm-hmm. involved, and I thought that was important. But can we talk about um, what your personal life looks like now? Like, you were obviously, you were into karate, you were into mountain biking, you were into jiu-jitsu, you guys were active. What have you done now to keep yourself going? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think we're still figuring out. Um, when we got back to Prince George, a month later, COVID happened. So we're not really sure exactly what the long-term look is, but uh, it's really important for us to be outside. So we have a dog, we uh, you know, go for long walks in our new neighborhood, try and explore the trails. We off-road constantly, going places where my chair shouldn't be going. Um, and my friends are great, they'll push me up or down any hill if I need to. Her 450-pound chair, by the way. Yes, I'm great yeah. exercise equipment. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, like twice a week we go and train kids at the karate club. And uh, that's really been helping with the breathing because I yell at them a lot. So <laughs> it helps with the capacity. And speaking about the, the karate club, I, I know that you were highly involved uh, before the accident and just as involved now. And it sounds like you have some pretty outstanding future goals regarding karate. Yeah, and we're, we're pretty excited about that. So... Um, yeah, you might have seen on the social media pages, but uh, I'm trying to go in for coaching, uh, hopefully at a national level, is where we're headed, and uh, I'll be participating in some online courses. I started them before, and I definitely plan on finishing them. And then just locally at the club, just coaching the kids, being around the kids, teaching, and yeah. Warren, are you still in karate too? Are you involved in that part of her life? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I grew, actually my whole family grew up in the karate club, my brother before me. And um, so I've been there, it's Linda Chack of karate club, but I've been there since I was six or seven. Um, so I, I kind of run the sport program there. And uh, Chantel and I both competed and I competed at, at a high performance level on the, on the BC team. And I had just retired like just before accident. We were headed to... Montreal for kind of one of my last fights uh, for one of the Olympic K1A events um, and yeah I think we were supposed to go a week after Chantel's accident so we didn't end up going but um, I, I was retired but I, I think just kind of um, after her accident we just wanted to get back into the club get back to our students and be able to teach and figure out a new way for, for Chantel to, to be able to do that and then I don't even know when we decided but I think we just kind of figured maybe I've got one more year in me, so I guess you're hearing it now first. The plan is for me to fight again at the Nationals with Chantel as my ring coach. Didn't you have four nice. times at the Nationals or something like that? I was uh, reading on your karate, but... Yeah, as a, as a senior athlete, I think I went to Nationals four times, um, and then I spent the last year as the captain of the BC team, and uh, that was, yeah, really awesome. But our last year at Nationals together, it was kind of a disappointing year for us and just wasn't the way I wanted to leave it um and and I've had awesome coaches behind me the whole time but I it's not even really a goal for myself 
to go back to nationals the goal is i want to go back with chantel as my ring coach and yeah you know, and what a story cool. that is that you're going back to fight at the national level with chantel in your corner where it becomes more of a team effort and what when is the the competition and where covid, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> i said it for you yeah. covid well the world's a little confused right now uh karate for the first time is in the olympics in tokyo this year for the first and apparently last time yeah. but uh so everything has to line up behind that for qualifications um but currently it is scheduled in july in uh newfoundland Labrador, I think. yeah so that's when it's scheduled whether or not it'll happen or not still we're still waiting to see but we're training like we're going we're training so. like we're going yeah in, in a in a bunch of different ways the the qualifications to be able to ringside coach nationals are they're she's got to do nine different courses and it's 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 pretty hefty so even and, and and there'll be a lot of other hurdles like the travel i mean you can imagine when you're paralyzed below the neck and you've got a 450 pound chair just just traveling across the country is going to be as hard as the fight so uh it's it's kind of one challenge that we're looping it all in one and that's our i guess short-term goal is i actually want to nationals. ask you something about persevering so um I have a friend who contacted me knowing that we were going to do this interview and uh, he has a sister who was also paralyzed and but still has use of her arms. Um, um, the complaint was that she kind of just gave up um, when the accident occurred. She said it takes me too long to get ready in the morning, um, you know, and so by the time she gets up, it's too much effort. I'm just not going to work. And you've done the exact opposite. I'm going to assume, being a quadriplegic, that it takes more time than a paraplegic for you to get ready. Um, is there any give up in you? Like any, like, oh, maybe I'll just stay home or what? What makes you say, I'm going to still go? Yeah, I mean, everything is a lot of work. And, and I think everyone has those moments where, you know, like, it's, it's easier to stay in bed. But honestly, like... Even if I tried to do that, somebody would be kicking me out. Like, they wouldn't even let me. Not my friends, not Warren. So, you know, there's constant check-ins. Um, but I'm just really, I'm really grateful for my day, and I love going outside. And, you know, if I, I've even got a dog, and if I don't feel like going out, well, the dog still needs to be walked. You know, so it's just, I don't know. I haven't felt to give up yet. I haven't been allowed to feel like that. I haven't been allowed to feel like that. that that's just such a great response. And I, I, to anyone listening or watching this podcast, I, you're providing them with inspiration right now. And just like your friend's sister, right, Dave? And I, I also just want to recognize you, Warren, for the support system because you guys are the epitome of a power couple. You guys are the personifications of, of strength and perseverance. And it's been 19 months since June 2019 and we did explain the accident in Vailmont and, and that you're airlifted in, to Edmonton. But I, I would love for you guys to talk about just what happened in Edmonton and, and then how you ended up in Vancouver and what your experiences were there in both provinces, just with the medical system, because you must have been working with a lot of amazing human beings, amazing, incredible people. So maybe we can talk about what happened in Edmonton and then what happened in Vancouver. Sure, yeah. Um, I'll breeze over some of the Edmonton stuff because <laughs> it got a little, a little bit of. dark. Um, but basically, I was given a very poor 
very poor, poor outlook. And, you know, was told that life is not going to get much better. You have the option to check out. You have time to make this decision. And no one wants to be in a state where you're not really sure what's going on, but you have to make a decision like that. So I just chose not to. Sorry that you have the opportunity to check out is what you were told? Yeah. I would even borderline say you were almost encouraged to, to, to give up on this kind of thing. What? Yeah, dark, dark time, and I couldn't talk. Um, I was ventilated through the mouth, so I did everything by blinking. Um, my family gave me a letter sheet, and we learned a system of blinking so, out letters. And yeah, blink or blink when we got down the alphabet to one side, that's, and then go across, and we'd spell things out, and, and we just had to kind of come up with a system to communicate. Um, but, yeah, so, and then... Shortly after that, they did chose to do a tracheostomy on me, which would at least allow me to, you know, mouth words. And I think as soon as we did that, it was kind of like the first bright light of, all right, we can communicate, we can start working through this and understanding this. And I have such a huge amount of respect and love for nurses now. Like, just incredible. Like, I always knew their job was hard, but, like, without their... My family was hugely supportive, but they were amazing they were the ones telling me don't listen to the doctors they have no idea (laughs) you know like just keep trying and we know these cases where it works and blah 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 and they would take the time to be so special and kind to me um, which was huge and so I was in the Edmonton ICU for 43 days and they keep you there because no one else can take you when you're ventilated there's no no training no equipment Um, and we were trying to fly me to Vancouver but uh, Warren knows more about that side. Yeah. He was dealing with all the crazy paperwork on the side. So if you're in BC and you need to be medevaced somewhere, that's fine. It's all covered by MSP. But if you get medevaced to Edmonton and you need to return to uh, rehab in Vancouver, you're out of province. It's not covered, even though they sent you there to begin with. Uh, insurance, which we had all the insurance in the world, were insurance people decided we weren't quite far enough from home that we were traveling. We were 400 kilometers away instead of, I think, 500 it was supposed to be. So our insurance wouldn't kick in. So you're facing a, a, I think we figured a $50,000 Learjet ride just to get back to your home province so you can get into... Very bougie. Very bougie, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Because at this point, she's fully ventilated. She can't speak. They've moved the ventilator from in her mouth to her throat now. So at least she can kind of, uh, you know, mouth words, and you get really good at lip reading, but uh, long story short, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but the hospital found funds to basically fly us there, and I don't know whose budget that came out of, but I'm eternally grateful to them, and they flew us to Vancouver. It was right before my birthday. I want to have, like, one happy memory here. Um, Warren always gives me birthday week, and, you know, it was that time, and the the nurses had brought me cake and everyone was being special and Warren had arranged for this um what do you call it virtual oh yeah virtual? we had a VR guy a VR guy you brought in a that. VR guy to the ICU to set up like a deep sea dive VR experience for me in the ICU and just yeah I don't I don't know how to describe how special that was but um that was kind of the first sign that like 
Oh, there's things can you can do. do <laughs> you we know, had no so. idea. Like, that was one thing, too. I kept, I wanted to YouTube, like, what do people with quadriplegia look like? What does their lives look like? And are they happy and content? So I'd reached out right away within one week of my injury, try and find someone who is quadriplegic to come in and talk to me. And that was kind of a weird experience. <laughs> they sent in a very emotional fellow who started crying as soon as he saw me. Like, all right, we're not going to talk to this guy. But <laughs> he was, I was consoling him in the end. They're like, oh, what is no. this? Yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. So then I reached out to the Spinal Cord Injury Support um, BC uh, group in Vancouver and got to talk with a lady. And she had pink hair and great fashion. And she told me her story. And she was just super rad. And I'm like, all right, like there's a group out there and this is possible. And I remember thinking, like, as long as I, I refused to believe I couldn't breathe. And that was our, my biggest thing. And I thought, as long as I can find a way to breathe, all of this can be possible. Everything is very doable. So that was my biggest goal. And the way they figure out if you can breathe is they just they pull you off and kind of see what happens. Yeah. And uh, so they figured that there's zero chance that you're going to be able to breathe but you might as well try so they just pull out the ventilator and then they just say breathe 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 and you just kind of and, and i think when you haven't done it you know a little while i guess in 43 days uh i don't know i don't know why it didn't work but it, it didn't i don't I, yeah I, I don't know and lost the muscle tone or the nerves come back a bit but you do you have to re relearn so once i was in vancouver they had a better they call it weaning um, process and at first they didn't want to try it they wouldn't let me they said no it's not worth it and every doctor told me no it's not worth it but I found one respiratory technician that was weak enough that I bullied him into we, we not really uh, him. <laughs> we really bullied him I feel bad but I, I owe it all to him really and uh, he let me stay off the ventilator and I made it 30 seconds no, uh, we were in Edmonton. We had made it to about a minute. No. Yeah, and then once we got into Vancouver, you you would crash. Her her saturation levels would drop at about the minute and a half level, and I don't know that that's kind of when it came back to her athletic background. It's like anyone who goes for a run, what's the hardest part of that run? It's that first five minutes until you get that that second wind, right? So as soon as her saturation level dropped below ninety, they'd plug her back in. And, and it was almost, we, we almost just said, just let her try longer. And everyone's like, no, we can't. It's too dangerous kind of thing. And this guy, we just, we just tore into him like, he, let, let us try. And then sure enough, at about the two-minute mark, her saturations came back up. And then that, that was it right there. At that point, it was like, okay, we got this. We're in charge now, and we're just going to keep pushing this and pushing this. And then just, I mean, if you go back and look through Facebook, it's just, eight minutes today nine minutes tomorrow and then we hit that one hour mark and it just just went from there but we really approached it from an athletic background like we knew it was cardio and i hate cardio like i hate it so <laughs> it was kind of ironic that now i had to do it all the time but um you know warren kept charts and we graphed it and we took rest days and we approached it exactly like exercise and i think it's that mental toughness that helped a lot I notice your finger moving. Oh, I can move. Yeah, I have some movement on my fingers. We call oh, that no way. the fancy yeah. finger. The fancy finger. Yeah. Do you use it for gaming? 
<laughs> <laughs> so you actually were persevering so robustly that it was you calling the shots. It was you not listening to this advice and saying, no, we have to try. We have to at least attempt it and do it this way and look at the ramifications of that. Yeah, like honestly, um, if we listened, it wouldn't be, my life would be so much different if we hadn't just pushed through and it was hard and it was, you know, when you're, when you're training on something where you can't breathe, like that's, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and nothing compares to it that I think I'll be through again, but having a coach and having someone supportive uh, with me as well, like it's just, we had to say no to doctors all the time. And that's another thing, like I have friends going through situations right now and I always tell them like, you know, you know yourself, you know what you're capable of. Don't listen to everything you're told necessarily because people, I had so much respect for the first doctor that told me that they didn't know. They didn't know if it was possible. Like, yeah, we we're, were blown away at Thank how many you. people just said like, this is how it's gonna be. And, and then we do our own research, like, I'm not entirely sure. And the first doctor we trusted said, I don't know, we just have to wait and see. And we're like, you, yeah. there's, there's you're on our team. There's something to this, you know. I actually had discussed with Scott about doing an episode on, uh, in January of last year, I got diagnosed with a tumor. But it took me going back to the hospital 12 times, being sent home saying you have migraines. Now I'm like, how do you just get migraines at 44? I went back 12 days in a row until on the 12th day, I just refused to leave the hospital. I said, until you give me a scan, I'm a resident of the hospital now. Yeah. Like there's something wrong with my head. I just refused to leave. And they got so irritated. They finally said, fine, we'll give you one. That's how I got diagnosed. Not because anybody said, oh, I know what we should do next. It was me saying I refused. And I only went to the hospital and stayed there because Tanner Woodman messaged me on Facebook when he saw what I was going through and he said, I had a stroke, but I went to the hospital and they said, you've got migraines now. Yeah. And he said he demanded to get an MRI and then discovered he had a stroke. Uh, again, he went through the same thing where he just refused to accept anybody else's narrative about what he was going through. He knew what he was going through. He knew what was wrong. I knew what was wrong. I spoke for myself. You knew what was wrong. You knew what you could do. You spoke for yourself. And the message here, we don't even need to do that whole episode of the podcast now. <laughs> it's you know what's happening inside of you. You are your own best activist. Absolutely. And your perseverance. I mean, one of my heroes is, is Terry Fox. And one of his favorite, favorite uh, one of my favorite quotes and his most famous is, anything is possible if you try. And through your perseverance uh, against advice or counsel that you may have received you went with it you tried and look at the positive results you're living proof of the positive results of what happened because you believed in yourself and you tried so um we're probably close to wrapping up i don't know if you have any specific questions left um but what i do want to ask you guys is obviously you've had an outpouring of support um and a lot of people have helped you what are your goals, things you want to accomplish over the next years? And is there any causes or anything that people can assist you in, either helping you or helping something mm. you want to help? That's a big question. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a little bit tricky because, like I said, we were in the hospital for 
eight or nine months or something straight and then we got out and then COVID hit so our lives haven't really been normalized but um, I guess kind of circling back to take Fox's quote and I just want to say one thing for your your friend uh, um, that's paralyzed that's having you know motivation or, or lack thereof it's uh, I guess we try to approach everything of I want to do this so how instead of going like I can't do this it's like you just choose something I, I want to be able to do this and then we just figure out a way and um, one of my coaches kind of said like it, t it takes a village and like I said up until this we were very independent people and everybody wants to help I mean you get so much value from being able to help somebody like Chantel and I think part of that is because this could have happened to any one of us right like mm -hmm. uh, half the town of Prince George is mountain biking because mountain biking is the best thing that there is let's face it and and it wasn't like an incredible accident. It could have been any single person. And it could have been you. These roles could have been reversed. It should have been. I do way stupider stuff on my bike than she does, right? And and uh, so I think if if you're in a situation like that and you just need help and you say, I want to be able to do this, and you tell a few people around you, they'll help you and you'll be able to do it. There's, there's always a way, right? Um, so I guess that's kind of how I approach that. But in terms of future goals i mean right now we're really focused on trying to get all the coaching certification and get me back to a competitive level to go back to nationals but the other really fun one um that we're working with right now is to get chantel back on a mountain bike so yeah i mean <laughs> c1 you can't break yeah. anything higher than that so anything below that's fine right just send it <laughs> I, yeah. I forget the gentleman's name. My friend Josh Staub, he's the president of the PG yeah. Cycling Club. Great human being, one of my favorites. And he recommended a gentleman for this podcast, Stacy. His last name escapes me, but he was just on Whistler Blackcomb at the bike park uh, last summer. And he was he created a, a bike as a paraplegic that was he was able to use on in the bike park, and it just looked like absolutely fantastic yeah so we've been talking actively with a company called Boheb head corp and they're actually originated out of calgary and they've got a really awesome three-wheeled mountain bike uh that's currently being used by paraplegics and low-level quadriplegics so um but they figure that probably by this summer they'll have something with chain controls that chantel will be able to use and we're really excited about oh, that that'll be out of control yeah. That'll be great. Just when you mentioned that, Warren, I saw your eyes <laughs> light up, Chantel. It was really great to see. I, I just want to take a step back and talk about your experience in Vancouver because you met a very inspirational Canadian hero during your time in Vancouver, Rick Hansen. Can you tell us about that experience? Well, first, she didn't get to meet him because she was no. tied up uh, with some hospital stuff, and he came rolling in to meet her, and I definitely uh, hijacked just him. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Rig Hansen fan, I, and I, I don't know where sir, but ever since a kid, I, I thought he was awesome. I think it might have been that big sign that was always outside of Williams Lake that you drive through, just home of Rick Hansen kind of thing. And yeah. and uh, then I ended up meeting and uh, becoming good friends with his, his niece in university. And uh, Alexis, so, Alexis, yeah. yeah, shout out to Alexis, yeah. more a great person. So un Uncle Rick is is uh, how I always heard him get it referred to so yeah he'd come in through gf strong at request and just and meet um uh meet anybody that had kind of a recent injury and you know like the, the guy just knows what to say uh i i don't even remember exactly what he, he had such a magical speech and i was just enthralled i can't tell you what it was about but one thing that kind of stuck i don't remember specifically how he said it but was talking about independence and losing your independence 
um, or what you think of as your independence is a really hard aspect of this injury, but you gain it back through other people, but not in a way of, you know, being a burden. I think that the willingness to accept help and to work with people kind of brings, brings back your independence and then you can accomplish the things you want to accomplish. And his speech was kind of around that and it just, it has really stood with me and it's brought me, you know, there's some dark moments and it's definitely come back at those times. For you to remember Rick's exact words, and I know you just read his book, Man in Motion, which is a fantastic read. And he he was also received an honorary doctorate degree from the University of Northern British Columbia in 2008. And if you have, have you read his book, Man in Motion? No, actually. That would change your life. Tell us about it, Dave, because you just read it. Yeah, I read it last week. Scott challenged me to read that one. And, uh, it's I, first of all, I didn't I had no idea he was such um, the only way to say it is shit disturber as a kid. Like he was just yeah. a little hellion. Like he was full of energy and full of life and hunting and fishing and like his passions. He was well, he was a cowboy, you know, like out of Williams Lake and couldn't couldn't control him, couldn't hold him down. I, it was fascinating. So I had no idea he was my childhood hero along with Terry Fox. Um, Watching, I wa- I was old. I'm old enough that I watched Rick Hansen remember when he was wheeling around the world. It was about when he got to China, when it was all over the news. Yeah, with and, those killer uh, delts. That, yeah, oh, and just he's ripped. Disgusting oh, yeah. the food. And I remember all I remember is the news interviews talked a lot about the food that they had to eat <laughs> and the alcohol and and that's he discusses it all in his book and you get the backstory and yeah, it was a hugely inspirational story and uh, probably starting to read his book is what made us go oh we got somebody in Prince George who's very much from what we can see or what I can see modeling that level of perseverance I absolutely agree there are some parallel and very very similar characteristics between Rick Hansen and yourself Chantel in terms of strength and resiliency and perseverance and just your ability to uplift others with your story and your positive attitude that's that's powerful, powerful stuff. Hopefully we're reading your book, <laughs> Woman in Motion, oh, yeah. in the future. Post-COVID. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so <laughs> we talked about meeting Rick in, in Vancouver, and but we didn't really get into any of the other experiences there. Are there anything that stands out during your time in Vancouver that was highly remarkable or, or good memories? Maybe think of some good things that happened during your time there. You know, we actually had a lot of fun in Vancouver. Uh, we busted out of rehab so fast that we got chased down and told we're not allowed to leave yeah we got in but, trouble on day <laughs> yeah. one yeah yeah they, they pegged us already for some like you said some shit disturbers but uh yeah we had a we we tried to get out all the time and every weekend i think we traveled to different breweries we we're trying to hit as many as we could and uh you know they we get the place gets a lot of donations for tickets so we saw a couple connects games which we've never seen before. Sat in Rick Hansen's um, seats, actually. Sat in Rick Hansen's seats. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, soccer game and something Lions else. Lions so game, shout out. We tr- yeah, yeah. They're, they got some fun donations. So we we just always try to get out and have fun and, like, be, you know, travel, travel and tourist and 
not just be a patient yeah. we on spent, the weekends. We spent a month in the spinal cord unit at VGH, waiting for your spot to get into uh, into rehab at a facility called GF Strong, which is a magical place. That's that's where they're like, okay, this is this is what you've got, and this is how you're going to live now. And so that's where just kind of everything started for us, I suppose. And that was the first time that Chantel had been put into a wheelchair with a ventilator that was on the back of it, so she could. You know, uh, at that point, yeah. I had to drive around for it because she didn't know how to drive it. Uh, they hadn't trained her up yet, and so I, you know, we went downstairs and went around and outside. And one of the nurses came by and waved at us, and then stopped, turned around. You guys can't be off the floor up there. Like you're not vent trained. And so for me, I, I guess that was one of the goals that I was. I, I wanted to get trained with everything that I could as fast as humanly possible, so we could get out of the hospital. And and oh, it normally yeah. takes. I don't know what they say, like a couple months or something like that. But we just we just hit it hard, and within two days they said, "Okay, I think you'll yeah. be able to keep her alive-ish." And we went ish, down this yeah. ish, yeah. Well, you know, at that point it's like it's everything's ish. Yeah. So it's scary going out, but we went out for a coffee and just sat in a cafe. We went out for and, a coffee, like down you know, the street and, and sat in a coffee shop. It was amazing. And yeah, we were alarmed for going off on her vent everywhere. Everything was going wrong, but another call out to my friends too. Like even I had my birthday, uh, 29th birthday in the ICU, and a bunch of our friends from Vancouver showed up and they snuck in a bottle of tequila and helped me do a tequila shot in the ICU and we had it ventilated. Oh my lord! Doctors came in and were like, "Do you know what you're doing?" Yeah. I don't think I was... Like, yeah, we yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah, we do. <laughs> We've got does a pretty look, good idea, yeah. yeah. Does it look like we make good decisions? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, had, we had a lot of fun and, yeah, got on the Sky Train as soon as we could. It was, it was very important to us to get out as quick as we could because when we started reading about other people in similar circumstances, is the hardest part for most people was the anxiety. Like, they would get out of the hospital and then they just were so anxious they couldn't go out into public for years. So for us, the goal was, well, let's just rip off that Band-Aid and go into public like, now. And get on and, a podcast. And get on a podcast. And let and everybody and, in Prince George watch it. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. You said there were no cameras. <laughs> yeah. <there is. laughs> and I want to compliment your social media posts, too, because they were so positive and just fueled with good energy when you're ripping around by Science World and False Creek and the boardwalk, and you're just looking like you're having so much fun. And Warren, you mentioned that uh, with the chair, it was something that you were operating at first. But can you tell us how you you operate your chair, Chantel, and like, and how long it, it took for you to actually uh, learn the how to utilize it? Because it's uh, it's quite advanced, from what I understand. Also, a really good story. Yeah. So uh, they always start you out on like a training chair, and it actually has this technology called a sip and puff, and it's a big straw that comes around, and you either sip or puff into it to go forward or turn. So uh, like blow or inhale? Or? Exactly, yeah. It's incredibly difficult. And yeah, you um, the difference between a sip and a puff, like you do driving lessons around cones and you just, like I just would madly accelerate by accident because if you blow too hard, increase your speed. And, but it, a little puff would be like a turn. So I, would, I, just, I was just slamming into walls, left, right, and center. Yeah, but soft. then it was so funny to me, like I just, you start laughing and then you can't control the chair and the next thing you know you're barreling through some poor soul's room that named tori yeah. the bodybuilder just broke his back and so we met tori he's a cool guy 
yeah, by really crashing good. into his room. Yeah, <laughs> poor little guy was taking a nap. Literally took out the garbage can, pushed it through his door. Yeah, into his room. <laughs> so. He's probably t- told that story to so many other people, and just these crazy people from Prince George come right through my room. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a great way to meet people. But uh, then I settled on the technology I use right now um, because it's a little bit more reliable. Because if you lose that straw, you're kind of hooped. You're going into a ditch or whatever. And uh, the technology I use now is called a headeray. And it's motion sensor or proximity sensor around my head. So I steer it just by like moving my head ever so slightly. And it works great. I guess can't and it's see really, now. Yeah, yeah. It's, you can't see right now, but it's yeah, reliable yeah, enough. Just bring to, it up for a I, second yeah. so we yep. can. And so just like any other skill, like this, you have to evolve it and work on it every day to get better. And so you, have you found yourself now just as an expert with it and, and can yeah. use it? really well or, or there's still hiccups every now and then uh, there's still hiccups <laughs> she wasn't the best yeah. driver before this to tell you, you know. the truth but um it's definitely easier it's a lot more intuitive to drive around but i do i do still take things out sometimes on purpose if i'm just having fun <laughs> sorry yeah. about your toe there warren yeah, yeah. oh yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, a dog i ran over my dog like three times they're so forgiving. Yeah. And you've also yeah. mentioned, I mean, we have to be so grateful for technology in a lot of different ways, but you also mentioned Apple and different Apple products. Can you talk about those? Yeah. No, it's amazing. Like, I, I think um, I was unable to text or use my phone for the longest time, and that's pretty isolating. And then I think it was in October, uh, Apple just put out voice control. And they didn't even announce it or release it, and somehow an occupational therapist found out about it, ran up and told me, and... I literally can do everything with my voice now, on my phone or on a tablet. So I can read books now, I can surf the internet, I can interact. Um, it's great. The technology, even the last 10 years, is I guess advanced so much and I'm still hearing about these other methods for controlling chairs. So I have a lot of hope for you know, what the situation will be Do you know how like. to read? Sorry? <laughs> You also so look you're going to read Rick Hansen's book, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I will. Well, if, <laughs> if, if you think about it, because there, there's a lot of things you don't really even realize. Like, how do you how do you read a book if you're paralyzed by yeah. the neck? Like in bed. I mean, a computer. She uses little mouth joists as a, a mouse. But if you're in bed and you want to read before bed, how do you do that? And until October, when Apple just put out this free update that's on every single one of your phones, you just don't know what's there. You just click on the little accessibility thing. Then all of a sudden, we just put a little iPad on a stand in front of her, and she just goes swipe left, swipe left, and flips the pages. And Another cool one is 3D printers. You can print little switches or buttons, and Xbox put out an accessibility, um, like a game playing panel. So you just hook up all these little buttons. So that's what I can do with my little fingers or up to my head, and I can play a basic video game. So Amazing. Yeah. And, and just think about all the technology that exists now for you to take advantage of, and think about the future and the rapid technology developments that are still going to start coming your way that you're going to be able to benefit from. That. I mean, that's exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Smart home devices. I mean, when was the last, like, oh. Google Homes showed up, what, five years ago? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. yeah. It, it, there is lots of potential for so many things to happen in yeah. the future, and that's awesome. I mean, that's what runs our household, all the lights for all everything, right? So, yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, big, big things to come in terms of technology, we're hoping. Um, I mean, here we are just 20 minutes ago on this podcast talking about uh, how you're excited to get back on a mountain bike and technology is going to help make that happen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you listen to a lot of audiobooks, a lot of podcasts? Uh, We do listen to podcasts. 
I use them when I'm driving all the time, but we like Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to Joe Rogan, future guest, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, he, he's not Canadian, so we'll have to find somebody yeah. else. But with um, like just different uh, audiobook apps as well, they're so brilliant just when you're in your workday to have any book imaginable as an audiobook these days, just to have it on in the background or before you're going to bed or even when you're just driving to work or around. It's, it's such a benefit to have. And uh, it, again, I think we're probably getting close to the the end of of this podcast, and you've been such special guests for Dave and me to have here, and, and Andrew as well, who's a huge part of our team. And what what I would love to do is just give the floor to you, and and I think Dave will agree. And you've you've been through a lot, and I mean, when it was 19 months ago, June 2019, I just you can compare yourself to who you were then and who you are now and all the knowledge that you have now just from the experience you've been through. And I, I, I'm hoping that you can take as much time as you want just to maybe give some shout outs or to thank some people along the journey that uh, were, were really instrumental in helping. And you take your time, but maybe just say thank you to a few people that come to mind. Yeah, no, that's another big question. Um huge shout outs obviously to our community um i can't thank that enough we're pg lifers now for sure um incredible group of friends one fellow we talked about before this podcast that i want to throw a note out to would be walt uh he was down in my rehab center so walt yeah walt's the the cliff notes on walt the the quad father is uh he has a very similar level injury to chantelle and he just floats around uh, dropping wisdom on everybody at uh, at the rehab center and he's a Dawson Creek boy who was injured at a very young age and was ventilated before there were ventilators that were portable so he's got a lot of good stories I mean Chantel made it through this journey when there was technology available but he made it through that journey when there wasn't technology available and uh, just the guys just the nature of the fellow was so calm and told his story uh, to us in, in a way that kind of talks you off the ledge and then gets you to a point where you're like okay if that guy can do it then then we can definitely do it but I think I think the biggest one of the biggest things when it came to support and the people that we're grateful for is they were all community groups that we were very involved with and I think PG is a very volunteered town and everybody's trying to help out in some respect I think that's just kind of a northern a northern thing if you live in the north you're I don't know I I think you're you're just more awesome than most, <laughs> to, to tell you the truth. But, like, uh, just videos on her birthday of thousands of people at a karate tournament singing happy birthday to Chantel that they sent to uh, to the, the mountain biking community, to Valmont, the mountain biking group in Valmont was sending us care packages. Cadet uh, just, group. Yeah, the, the air cadets who I fly with you know they held their own fundraisers her work people held their fundraisers dave you were taking time to tell curtis how to you know get a fundraising effort going and all that stuff is uh it it makes it you you all of a sudden need to to somehow pay these people back and obviously you can't pay back one hundred forty thousand dollars, but i think the way that you can you know is is Chantel isn't a burden society anymore I mean she she's working and hopefully she's an inspiration to some people and uh I mean she doesn't think that way at all but um 
I, I think she is. And um, I think for a lot of people, just seeing her attitude through that, it kind of kind of makes you think a little bit better of your day, you know? Yep. twenty <laughs> percent. Whether you want to think that way or not, um, you can't help but hear what you guys have said and not think, you know, I got to man up. Yeah, so Chantel for Governor General. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Too soon. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for being here. And uh, for sharing your story. Yeah. No, and thank when you. We, uh, when we get out of this COVID mess, come say hi when we're rolling down the trails for sure. And cool. with your permission, because we know that there will be some large expenses coming up with your ambitious goals, uh, with, with Karate, with Nationals, and as well as the coaching certification. So uh, with your permission, we would like to include a link to the GoFundMe if people still can um, donate or, or help you out, because you two are incredible people in this community who we want to see achieve their goals, and uh, Dave will agree where the community wants to help. So. Um, if with your permission, we can share that, and it's just been an, an honor for us to, to really have you both here today. Thank you. Yeah, and the last group I'd like to mention, too, if people are slinging around some COVID money, is the Spinal Cord Injury Group BC. Uh, they they were incredible for us. I mean, they, they provided, like Chantel was saying, that early mentorship of, of that lady who was a, a similar quad, and they constantly check in on us, and they've, they've become great friends that when we need help, we call them up, and they kind of help us through things. So... Shout out to those guys. Yeah.